everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today's book club. I'm very excited to talk about this book. I I just, I didn't reread it. I re-listened to it. And I'm so excited. I feel like this is probably one of my favorite books we've had for book club in a while. I really enjoyed it. Wow. No shade to the other books, huh? No, no, I like the other books, but you know me. I like a, I like some murder or like this wasn't murdery, but it was like a thriller and it felt like Gossip Girl. So I liked that. I just felt like there was just so much to love about this one. Well, before we get into the episode, this episode is sponsored by Knight, the makers of our all time favorite pillow. So we'll tell you more about them later in the episode, but Knight is retiring our favorite face mask. And this would be sad news, except now they're 50% off, and you can use our code NIGHTBOP to get an extra 20% off. So before we get into book club, should we have some ketchup? Ketchup. Ketchup. (laughs) Do you want some fries with that? Actually, that sounds great. I know. Fries sound great. We had really good French fries last night. But now I'm getting hungry. How are you? What's, What's your high? I'm good. My high is just that I'm enjoying having a calm schedule. I've had a calm schedule all summer and I'm like, I'm settled into it. I'm I'm not stressing about lack of work. Like I'm just enjoying it. And I'm, it's like, okay, it's very ironic that I'm saying this today. So I'm getting into a good groove with writing my book. It's ironic because today I've been avoiding writing it all day, but on the whole, in August, I'm on track to have more writing days than I've had in any other month, and I feel like I have like a slow and steady, consistent groove going. Like it's it's going, so I'm proud That's of that. Great. Yeah. On a micro level, today I'm not doing excellent with that, but when I wrote this outline yesterday, picture. I felt a lot better about this. Okay. What about you? What's your high? My high was I was just in LA. It was a really good trip. We had the most amazing little lunch on the Malibu Pier. It was just like, there's this place. It's If you live in California, you know this, but it's called Malibu Farm. And it's just, you are sitting like right next to the ocean, like literally on a dock, eating and drinking delicious things. We also went to LACMA, which I had always wanted to go to and just saw some really cool art and sculptures and things. And I don't know. It was great. And then, you know, I told you I've been a bad sister because my sister moved like right as I went to New York, got back for three days and went to L.A. And it's so great having her here. Last night we had a spontaneous family dinner. The night before that, I was just working and she was like, do you want to have dinner? And I was like, I can't. But she came over and brought Zoe and we like played with tape for a little while. I mean, tape is a really big thing right now. For us, we take rainbow painters tape and decorate cardboard. It's thrilling for two-year-olds. Honestly, and that sounds way less messy than paint, markers, any of the other craft supplies she could be into. Yeah, she's kind of a terror right now. Like last night at dinner, she was sitting on my mom's lap and like my mom like turned her head for like half of a second and so he grabbed her glass of wine and just dumped it all over the table. Wow. So... <laughs> I try and avoid anything messier with liquids with her because my apartment's basically all beige and I don't I want to keep it that way. I mean, she's almost a three major. You know, she'll be three in October. That's what they call but, it when they're three and they're like nightmares. I thought it was terrible twos. Yeah, she's the best, but she has a very mischievous sense of humor. Takes after her aunt. 
Yes. But it's just, I don't know. It's so nice, like, knowing that my sister lives down the street now. I went over to their house after dinner last night and saw it. I feel bad for them. It's very messy. And there's, like, some trash laws, so they can't throw everything out. So they just have all this trash on their porch right now. Oh, God. I know. I was like, do you want me to take it? Like, just use my building's recycle center? But we didn't do that. Oh, man. What about lows? What's your low? I'm just really tired. I've had four different COVID tests because I keep thinking I have it (laughs) because I'm a hypochondriac as it is. I made the mistake of reading what the symptoms were and they're the exact same symptoms as allergies. And I think that in Charleston, I have new allergies because it's a new city and, you know, your body is getting used to all new plants and things. But my eyes are always watering. (laughs) I have a headache a lot of times, a sore throat and um, runny nose. And those are actually the main symptoms of a breakthrough case because we're both, I will say this again, I've been getting asked a lot if I'm vaccinated, I think because people think I'm, you know, I I think maybe it's a little more rare for a Southern influencer to be vaccinated. (laughs) I'm fully vaccinated. But yeah, it just, and I'm paranoid because I have been traveling and I have a two-year-old niece who's not vaccinated. You know, we stick to outdoor hangouts and wear masks when we're with her, but um, it's scary. So I just, con- like, my, I have bad allergies and I constantly think that I have COVID, which is wonderful. But all Good the things- tests came back negative, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. You, you kind of and- didn't, you kind of didn't conclude that story. <laughs> Sorry, I should have shared that. And I will tell you, I've discovered the power of Zyrtec, which is a wonderful thing. Well, that's good. Yeah, but no COVID, just paranoia. Um, how about you? It's not really a low. So it's a low because I'm I'm brimming. I'm like dying to talk about this. But our new show that we're making that we sold to a partner and that I've been like has been my quote unquote secret project for a while now. It was supposed to be in September and now it got moved to November. And it's actually really, really funny. Poor Grace. I have talked about it in every single every one episode. of the past three episodes because I was convinced that it was going to be announced by then. And every time I was wrong and our poor editor had to cut it out. And Grace every time has to be like excited about this thing that she's heard about 97 <laughs> times and has known about <laughs> since January in real life. So I'm bummed, not because it really matters when it comes out, but I'm just bummed because I really want to talk about it. So yeah. Well, I'm very excited for you when it does happen, and I will summon all of the enthusiasm when we do announce it. <laughs> well, I, I've learned my lesson. I'm not I'm not going to put it into the podcast until it's it is announced. So we'll see okay. what that is. I have I have no control. But before we get into talking about this book, why don't we take a quick ad break? So. I am watching some friends go back to offices, and I cannot even imagine having to get dressed every day. My work-from-home outfit lately is bike shorts and a big t-shirt on repeat. It's what I'm currently wearing. Comfort is just has become so key to me, and that includes my bra. And my favorite comfy bras are from Harper Wild. So Harper Wild makes bras that put comfort first. The bra I wear the most often from them is called the Base Bra, And it's a lightly lined everyday bra that comes in a range of nude shades and it won't show through even the thinnest t-shirt. Two of my favorite things about this bra, other than the fact that it's really comfortable, is that first it has straps that adjust in the front, which is so smart. And I don't understand why all bras don't do this. And second, it has a hook and eye closure in the back that clips the straps together so you can wear it as a regular bra or as a racer back bra, which makes it so versatile for travel. 
Then their other signature bra is called the Bliss, which is a bralette that provides lift while feeling like second skin. And I always thought that my boobs were too big to get in on the bralette trend, but this bra has definitely proved me wrong. So with Harper Wild, you can always count on buttery fabrics, thoughtful construction, and all-day comfort. Plus, with their easy interactive fit quiz, beautifully priced bundles, and free returns, they've made bra shopping painless. And part of their proceeds provide mentorship for girls through their partnership with Girls Inc. Stay in your comfort zone. Go to harperwild.com slash BOP today so you can get 20% off your first purchase. Because the only thing better than a comfortable bra is getting a discount just for being a bad on paper listener. That's 20% off at harperwild.co slash BOP and wild is spelled W-I-L-D-E. Harperwild.com slash BOP. All right, Grace. All right, let's talk about this book. So this month we read Ace of Spades by Farida Abike Amide, and it is a young adult thriller. So we're going to give you the plot summary as always, because maybe you read it earlier this month or a little while ago and you don't remember exactly what happened. So we're going to tell you what happened. But if you haven't read it, I would turn this off because this is a book that you don't want spoilers for. You don't the the less you know the better. Going exactly. Into it. So if you're still planning to read it, stop here. This is your warning. Yes. All right, let's get into the plot. So Devon and Chiamaka are seniors at Nivius, which is a prestigious private school. They're also the only two black students at the school. So Devon is an outcast. He's a scholarship student who keeps his head down and really just wants to focus on his music. His dream is to go to Juilliard. His only friend is Jack, another scholarship student from Devon's neighborhood. He's also gay, but still in the closet. On the other hand, we have Chiamaka, who is the queen of the school and has her heart set on going to Yale. So basically think of Blair Waldorf here. She doesn't have any friends so much as she has lackeys, except for Jamie, who is her best male friend, who she's not so secretly completely in love with. So as the school year starts up, students start getting these scandalous pieces of gossip, which are delivered via anonymous texts from someone who calls themselves aces. So the first message is a photo of Devon and his ex-boyfriend hooking up. And then Chiamaka is also a frequent subject. The first rumor about her is that she got rejected by Jamie, who has a new girlfriend. And then there's a rumor about her shoplifting. So while Devon and Chiamaka are by far the most frequent subjects of these texts, there's also ones about Devon's friend Jack, who's allegedly dealing drugs, and Chiamaka's best friend Jamie. Yes. So both Chi and Devon are scared that their biggest secrets are going to get out. For Chiamaka, it's that her and Jamie were involved in a hit and run and left a girl at the scene of the accident. For Devon, it's that he's gay because he doesn't think his mother will accept him if she finds out. In the midst of all the Aces rumors, Devon meets Terrell, a boy from his neighborhood that claims that they knew each other in middle school and even kissed, even though Devon doesn't remember this at all. Terrell becomes a confidant for Devon. So meanwhile, there's a rift between Jamie and Chiamaka after Aces exposes that they were hooking up all summer. So at first, his new girlfriend, Belle, forbids them from hanging out, but then eventually she breaks up with Jamie and befriends Chiamaka instead. And as they bond, Chiamaka finds herself having feelings for Belle that are more than friendly. Yeah, so as the rumors escalate, Chiamaka tells the headmaster about Aces, thinking that he'll help. But after looking into it, he actually accuses her and Devon of trying to sabotage each other. Very low on hope, they band together to try and discover who Aces actually is. 
Chiyomaka gets a tech guy to trace the IP addresses of the messages, and it turns out they're coming from the library, and ACES is using some really sophisticated technology. They schedule the messages on Sunday, and Chi and Devon hatch a plan to catch the ACES in the act. So as they wait for Sunday, they're also starting to get pursued by a physical person who's following them. And things get even creepier when Chiyomaka receives photos that were taken from inside her house's gate. So on Sunday, they show up at the school and they surprise Aces. And when they unmask them in the library, it's the girl from the accident. So Aces ends up evading them, but leaves the computer unlocked. And on it, there's a spreadsheet of tasks that are assigned to all of their classmates. Aces isn't just one person. It's a huge group of people. And they also find a list of names of Black people from past years that were also targeted by Aces. It also becomes clear that the teachers are in on it. So Devon's music teacher has been sabotaging him all this time to make sure that he does not get into Juilliard. Finally, Chiamaka confronts Belle about ACEs, and she admits that it's a tradition called social eugenics and is practiced by private schools across the country. Every 10 years, they invite two promising black students and then break them down until they drop out to keep them from achieving what they should. So realizing that Aces is too big for them to take down alone, Chi and Devon decide to take the story to the press, who agrees to help them and encourages them to stage an expose that they can air on live TV at the senior dance. And in a moment of frustration before that happens, Devon is frustrated about the futility of their situation. He also ends up tweeting about Aces with the proof he has from the library when Aces left the portal open, and his tweet goes viral overnight. The night of the dance, Terrell shows up before and admits that he was also a part of it. He helped the school spy on Devon. He didn't want to hurt him and ultimately stopped, but he wanted the money for his sister who's sick. Then, when Chiamaka and Devon give their speech at the dance, they realize they've been tricked. The news anchor they spoke to was actually also part of the Aces. But because of Devon's tweet, protesters have shown up at the dance as well. And in the chaos, the school is set on fire with many of the students and the faculty still inside, including Jamie, who dies. In the epilogue, 16 years later, we see that Chiamaka and Devon are best friends and they've started a foundation to stop schools that are practicing social eugenics and founded an alternative school for Black students. And Chiamaka has become a doctor like she dreamed of and Devon is a professor. And Devon and Terrell are also engaged. And in the very last scene, Chiamaka goes to see a patient of hers who is dying, and it turns out to be their old headmaster who is shocked to see her. So everything comes full circle. Oh my gosh, that part, like, I just need this to be a movie just for that last scene. Honestly, this book was so perfectly plotted. Uh, Reading it the second time, or I guess listening to it the second time, I could really appreciate that it was, it was so tightly plotted, like, Everything got wrapped up. There were no plot holes that didn't make sense. Like it was a chef's kiss. But before we talk more about the book, let's take a quick ad break. So some bittersweet news. One of our favorite face masks is being retired. So you've heard us rave about the night pillow and we love their 100% silk face masks. We're both back to masking anytime we're indoors. And the mask that I reach for most is absolutely my night mask. 
Yeah. So mask mandates are coming back. More and more places are starting to require masks as COVID cases are rising in certain parts of the country. But the silver lining is that Knight has marked down all of their remaining masks and mask accessories by 50% off. And then when you use our code NIGHTBOP, you'll get an additional 20% off. Yes, that is such a huge savings. And these masks are worth it. They feel really light and super comfortable to wear, which is especially important when you're on an airplane or wearing a mask for any long period of time. I've been on a plane a couple times this year, and I am so thankful to have my night silk mask. It feels so much better than a cloth mask. It doesn't get all like swampy. And because night masks are made of 100% mulberry silk, they don't absorb moisture the way that cotton does, and they'll keep your skin nice and hydrated, which is an added bonus because I know when I fly, my skin gets really, really dry. And also, can we talk about mask knee, which is the worst? But mulberry silk is naturally hypoallergenic, which means my skin stays clear when I wear my night mask. But don't take our word for it. You know who else loves night masks? Pretty much every celebrity. Like really every celebrity you can think of has been spotted wearing this mask. Nina Dobrev, Gigi Hadid, Adele. Yes, Adele. Jessica Alba, Hailey Bieber, Priyanka Chopra. The list goes on and on and on. Seriously, this is the mask that Hollywood chooses. Okay. And as we said, COVID is still a serious issue. And unfortunately, there are places where cases are rising and it's super important we continue to protect ourselves and our loved ones by wearing a mask. It's always good to have a mask on hand in case you need it. And this mask is truly the only mask that you need. It comes in six beautiful colors that go with your outfit and look good. So my favorite is definitely the emerald, which is also just such a pretty jewel tone for fall. But I love them all. So the masks also come in black, blush pink, gunmetal, navy, and champagne. So the silk triangle and the silk masks are all 50% off. Go to discovernight.com today and shop all of Knight's mask and mask accessories. And of course, remember to use the code NIGHTBOP for an additional 20% off your purchase. Back to the episode. All right. Let's talk about this book. Oh, Grace, this book was so good. I So we heard about this book through our Facebook group. So I feel like this book has not been hyped enough. I feel like I've seen more people reading it, but I feel like this book deserves so much hype. And I had not heard of it. I hadn't seen it anywhere. And one of our listeners in the Facebook group just like tagged us both in a post and was like, hey, have you read this book? I think you'd both enjoy it. And I'll be honest, sometimes when people recommend books to me, it's annoying because people are always like, this should be a book club pick. This should be a book club pick. And it's like, we get told that way more than there could be actual book club picks. Yeah. So sometimes I'm kind of just like, "Eh, whatever. That sounds terrible. I'm a monster. I mean, I still look and the plot for this one just sounded fabulous. Yeah. For for whatever reason, I'd been been actually craving a teens behaving badly book. And it stood out to me. I ended up going to get this on a Sunday afternoon. I went to McNally Jackson in Williamsburg in person and I bought the book. I came home. And I did not move until I finished it. I, oh my God, I was so compelled by this book. I loved this book. I felt exactly the same way. I read it so quickly and just was like, I didn't want to do anything else until I was done. So you're the you're the thriller aficionado among us. Yeah. I want to hear what you thought of this. Like, did you see the ending coming? Like, did you have theories about who Aces was? 
like I'm a pretty easy thriller reader because I never guess the ending, but you're a little bit more of a sophisticated thriller reader. I kind of went back and forth. I was I I feel like I'm always like who's like the least likely person to be aces and then I kind of extrapolate from there. So at times I thought it was Jamie, at other times I thought it was Jack cuz you know it's like to make a mm-hmm. really good twist it has to be like the person that they're closest to. So I thought it was that. I I thought it was a teacher at one point probably from watching Gossip Girl and like the and Gossip Girl being the teacher. I had my suspicions about the headmaster because he was like so unhelpful when that whole thing went down. I kept thinking aces. Did it ever enter your mind that it could be a group of people instead of just one person? No. And that's why it was so great when we found out because it like hits you over the head. And I was like, what? And that's when it kind of went from gossip girl to get out for me. Yeah, I basically suspected every single person who was in this book, except for Devon's mom. I was like, you're all fishy. There's something wrong with all of you. Devon's mom was the only good one. (laughs) Yeah, like she was the only one that I felt like was truly above it. Because Terrell was sketchy too, because it turns out that they actually did kiss and they did know each other in middle school. But because afterwards Devon had gotten bullied at school, it was like he had a, a PTSD reaction to it and he'd blocked out the memory. So... He ended up being sketchy in a different way that it seemed like it seemed like he wasn't who he said he was necessarily. But everyone, I was like, everyone's a suspect here. But I never thought that it could be multiple people. I thought it had to be one person. So I was like, I was so wrong. Yeah, I felt the same way. And I that's one of the things I loved most about the book was it totally like threw me off. Oh, you know who I was really convinced it was Jamie when they had the shoplifting thing happen? I was like, well, it has to be him because he had clearly put the candy in her pocket. Yeah, I mean, Jamie was kind of throughout it, like outwardly the worst. So he was the obvious one. Yeah. I also was really suspicious of Shiamaka's two lackeys. Yes. Ruby and Cece. It was like clear that they didn't like each other. And so... You know, I thought it could be maybe like a coup situation where they were trying to overthrow her. But then obviously they didn't know anything about Devon or like why would it it wouldn't make sense that they would include Devon. So, yeah, yeah, I was just I was so surprised by by this, the turns that this book had. Yeah. And also I was like, I feel like it was the turns were so tight because it was, you know, just when it seemed like they were being racially targeted for being black. Then there were the rumors about Jack and Jamie. And it was like, oh, okay, no, there's more people that the rumors are about. But it turned out that those were just red herrings. Yes. And then, you know, it was like, and then the turn that it's like, Aces is actually multiple people. And then it was like, and then the teachers are involved. Yes. And then Terrell is involved. And then the and reporter then, oh, is the involved. the media is involved. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, it was just, it was like, no, no, yeah. no. Yes. Like it was so, the turns were so tight. It was so continually shocking. I agree. Did you feel yourself like being pulled toward one character story more than another? Uh, yes and no. So I would say that I was pulled more towards Chimaka's character because it's, inter- you know, she's the spoiled, rich, unsupervised teen, which, you know, I always like. And she did have very strong Blair Waldorf vibes. So I was very into her as a character, but I will say, I think Devon's story was more interesting. Like there was more depth there with his relationship with Andre and his relationship with Terrell. Like there was just like more meat there. So I like 
I kind of I kind of wanted Chiamaka's story to be like meatier than it was. Like I was like every time I got to a Chiamaka chapter, I was like, yeah. But ultimately, like I so I think I was pulled more to her story, but then finishing it, I think Devon's was more interesting. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also would say that I really didn't like Chiamaka for a lot of it. I felt like she was just such a brat. She she definitely grew on me throughout, whereas I was more sympathetic towards Devon and was like, he seems like a really good kid. Like, I want to see him succeed. God, I just sounded so old there. <laughs> kids these days. Oh, kids these days. Um, I agree with that. But it's interesting. I Did you read the author's note at the end? No, I did not. I read like her bio, which said she wanted to write books about like black kids taking over the world. And I loved that. So in her bio, she talks about how, first of all, she wrote this. uh, She started writing this when she went to college. So she's British, which is also really interesting because this is set in the U.S. and it it doesn't feel like it was written by somebody who didn't live in the U.S. So um, she's British and she's uh, she's from London and she went to college and um, I I think she had a hard. it, It sounded like she had a hard time adjusting to freshman year. And um, also was having the experience of, like, being one of the only black people at her college or university. And so she ended up, she says in this that she ended up getting really, really into Gossip Girl. She watched it for the first time and got super pulled in and that she was really compelled by Blair's character, but then was frustrated that there weren't these, like, strong, unapologetic characters for black women and also that Gossip Girl was also all white. So she kind of wanted to create like a Blair Waldorf and looking at it through that lens, like I think she did such a good job with Chimaka because she is so unapologetic in like, I think one of the first things she says is she's like, I don't have friends. Like I have helpers or whatever she calls them. I mean, I didn't like Blair in the beginning of Gossip Girl. And then by the end, I was just like, rooting for her and Chuck to get married. So, Oh, I was always team Blair. I feel like, oh, were you team Serena? Obviously. Okay. Maybe it's because I have brown hair and you have blonde hair, but I feel like personality-wise. It's like the American dolls. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was always like very drawn to Blair. Oh, funny. I was always really drawn to Serena. Interesting. By the end, I switched and like I started to like Blair more, like especially like once she kind of became a little bit more confident and – um. Like the whole, like all the Chuck years. Absolutely. And also like seven years of Serena creating her own problems. It got a little hard to feel bad for her. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. But in the beginning, she was my favorite. Back to, back to this book. Back to this book. Although we're going to talk about Gossip Girl more later. I just think I, that if this was a series or something, I would grow to love Chiamaka where in the beginning I was like, oh my God, she's deeply unlikable. Yeah. Whose betrayal of Devon or Chiamaka did you did you feel the deepest? Okay, so I felt Chiamaka is the deepest overall, but there was one part of the book that I just felt so devastated for Devon when the when the teacher, the music teacher, mm-hmm. who it was his favorite teacher. We didn't get into all the specifics in the in the outline, but his favorite teacher is letting him like cut class to practice music. The teacher is like, well, students that don't have a perfect attendance record, blah, 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 can't go to Juilliard. So it was like he – it seemed like he was like this supportive, helpful, like wonderful 
mentor and then he just like completely like stabbed him in the back and that that scene that was just like one that really like cut me deep the one that crushed me the most was Terrell when he showed up at the end and he was like by the way I was in on this too oh I was like no because it was after you found out why he didn't remember Terrell and so then Terrell was like cleared of my suspicions and you knew who Aces was and I was like okay he's one of the good ones and it also was you know race oriented and Terrell was black so you know it was like okay he's on Chimaka and Devon's side and then when he said that he was in on it I was like no yes yeah I think overall you know Jamie seemed terrible and like all of Chiamaka's friends seemed terrible so I wasn't like that shocked by all of the betrayals whereas with Devon I felt like there were these people who were like really stable and wonderful in his life and then they just like turned out to be awful well Terrell turned it around but the teacher felt like I almost cried and also his best friend Jack yes that too he had like such dramatic like such dramatic boyfriend yes all of it I know. I know. Yeah. Also, speaking of Devon's moments in this, this scene where he found out that his dad had been executed on death row, it was oh my like, God. it was such a small plot point and like a quick moment. It was devastating. I agree. I, I almost cried at that point too. I did cry. I like fully cried. Oh, so upsetting. I know. So it was really interesting going back to this book for a second time. So first of all, I listened to it and I really liked that it had two different narrators. So it had one, a female narrator for Chiamaka and a male narrator for Devon, which I always like when they do that. And they were very good narrators. But I also thought it was really interesting rereading it, knowing what was going to happen, because the book is also pretty allegorical for racism. And I could see that much more clearly reading it all the way through, knowing what was going to happen, where it's like, it's kind of like this allegory for racism, where it's like, what do you do when everyone, including the people in charge, are against you? Like, do you give them what they want or do you fight back, even though it's like kind of futile? And I thought it was really interesting to see how some of the best friend characters fit in. Like, Jamie was like the overtly bad racist person. Like he likes the status quo. He's from like this rich family. He was like when he started gaslighting her about the car accident where he was driving, then he was like, I wasn't driving. Like he's like classically the the bad guy. Yes. But then Belle, who was Jamie's girlfriend that then switched over to Chiamaka's side, she was like the good person who changed their mind, but then like had already caused harm and like was complicit. Like she said in this one scene where she tells Chiamaka that she like tells her what's going on. She's like, I was in on it, but then I like started to get to know you and I I decided that this was wrong. And it was like, okay, but you like, you already were in on it and you didn't do anything to stop it. Yes. And then Jack. Yeah. Oh, and that's like the classic white guy that thinks that opportunities are being taken away from him because of affirmative action. Yeah, I thought this, just just the, um, the layers of this book and I I am just so shocked isn't the right word this sounds like belittling almost and I don't I, I mean it only in terms of my own experience but I'm just like I'm so blown away that this author was so young she started writing it her freshman year of 
college and then it came out in her senior year of college and I'm just like I was such a trash person people hate when I say that I was such a disaster through college (laughs) and like the fact that she wrote this book and that it is so tightly plotted and that it works on levels like you know the story is great the turns are great it's surprising but then also like it's like this huge allegory for racism like I'm my mind is blown I agree yeah I know I like I think about her age in writing this book and like I don't want to be like ageist I'm just I'm really really impressed Another thing that she talked about in the author's note was the fact that the book doesn't have a sense of place, which I almost didn't realize the first time I read it. Did you like that or did you dislike it? I didn't think about that. Honestly, I didn't think about it till you said that. Where did you where did you picture it set? I pictured it at like a rich suburb of like Illinois. Oh, interesting. I was picturing it in D.C. or like in a, I guess, like a Maryland suburb. Because at one point, yeah, Chiamaka says something about somebody's dad as a senator, which I guess they could be a senator anywhere and then, you know, be yeah. in their home state instead. But I, in my head, was like fairly convinced this was in D.C. or Maryland. And then when I got to the author's note, I was like, oh, that is interesting. She said that she wanted it to be placeless because like this could happen anywhere. That makes a lot of sense. I I didn't think of it that way. In my head, I was like, I was just thinking of like, I forget where I was, but I just remember like big lawns and like beautiful homes with like white pillars and like the whole, I forget what architecture style that is. And then, um, you know, a few like not blocks, a few streets over, just much more poverty kind of where like Devon would have lived. And I, yeah, I guess that exists anywhere. And that was her point. But it was so yeah. funny that we both we both installed our own places in it that we were like so convinced that it was. Yeah, and it proves her point. So yeah, it proves yeah. her point. But I I didn't um, I didn't dislike it at all. Like I, I frankly didn't notice it. And I thought it was really interesting to have it pointed out to me after the fact. Yes. Back to Gossip Girl, really quick. Okay. If this was the plot line of the new Gossip Girl, like it, this book made me mad at the new Gossip Girl because the new Gossip Girl is like, where have you netted out on it? I've netted out that it's pretty bad. Um, I like it, but I like it for not because it's a good show. I like it because I like the clothes and I like New York. Like having left New York, it's I love anything a show about New York and young people in New York. It's not good though. I will and say I, I know what I know what you're about to say because I felt it too. Like why couldn't Gossip Girl be more like this book? Yes, exactly. I I will say that the new Gossip Girl, the last 10 minutes of the mid-season finale was incredible. Like, that was great across the board. I was like, yes, more of this. So maybe it'll get better. But like, if this had been the plot line of the new Gossip Girl, this would have been incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible. I guess it would have been really hard because then where do you go for multiple seasons? But like, oh my God. I was just like, it could be done so much better. Yeah, just justice for Gossip Girl as one of my favorite shows. I just wanted it to be way better than it is. Yeah, you know, it's just never going to live up like unless they bring some of the old characters back. Yeah, but they like they wanted to have more like they wanted to be more issues oriented. And I think like the whole plot line about um, the Navy Yard redevelopment is like kind of stupid. And it's like, no, like this is what it should be aspiring to be. Yes. 
I agree. Oh, just made me sad. Yeah. What are some other teen prep school thrillers that you like? I mean, it's one of my favorite genres. I will say nothing is nothing is the same as this because this is A, so much smarter than most of them, and B, like it is more serious because it is also an allegory for racism. So I think this, like the cheese kind of stands alone on this one, that this is its own thing. Yeah. But I would say my favorite prep school thriller is probably All These Beautiful Strangers by Elizabeth Claifoff. I'm not positive that I'm pronouncing that. I loved that one. Loved. Loved it. And I I just feel like that one also was like the grippiest and like had the most sense of pace to me. I really, really liked that one. I also liked They Wish They Were Us by Jessica Goodman. I thought that was a good one, too. Yeah, I was going to bring her up. You need to read her newest book, They'll Never Catch Us, which is also about like a kind of fancy high school. It also talks a lot about running and like a cross country team. And then we read January was I guess it was January of 2020, I think. Could have been January of 2019. But we read Good Girls Lie by J.T. Ellison. Do you remember that one? Yes. How could I not remember that one? That was great. That one was gorier. (laughs) That one was more scary. (laughs) Yeah, that one was straight up a little scary. This was scary in a different way, like not a murdery scary. That was scary in like a gory way. I did get – I did start getting a little scared from this when they – people started chasing them. So, you know – I honestly was worried about – yeah, I was worried they were going to be injured. It it felt like somebody was closing in on them. Like Devon saw somebody in a mask taking photos of him at the park, which is like, okay, that's creepy. And then Shiamaka was like physically pursued, like chased down by a person. And I was like, oh, God, like are they going to get killed? So this one was scary, but that one was like – it's not even that it was gory. It was a little gory, but it was like that one was way murderier. I mean, she could have ended it much differently to prove a point, but I'm and I'm happy that she chose to end it on like an uplifting note where they were like these six, the successful doctor and professor all these years later and not like two poor kids that endured this and like ended up dead. Well, I love the way she ended it. I mean, I love that, first of all, that the answer was going through the traditional means of like the mainstream media was not effective and what saved them was social media and like the collective outrage over this and like that the protesters made an impact. They also burnt down the school, which is not great. But, um, you know, that like that was the the solution to this. And I loved the epilogue. Like it really tied it up for me and especially with Terrell because I was feeling so betrayed by Terrell that getting to see them together 16 years in the future made me happy that like it wasn't explained how he redeemed himself, but like that he was still in Devon's life and that I assume he redeemed himself. I agree. Yeah. It's two thumbs up for me on all of this. It was it was flawless. It was so good. Yeah. Should we take another quick ad break before we get into some end matter? Yeah. So by now, you've definitely heard me talking about how much I love Pros, the world's most personalized hair care. So I've been using their shampoo and conditioner for over a year now, and I'm fully converted. And if you haven't heard me talk about them yet, let me tell you about how great my customized Pros products are. So here's how it works. You take an in-depth hair quiz, which asks you about your hair type, your styling routine, and also some less expected factors like your workout routine and your diet and your zip code so they can take into account environmental factors. 
So when I took the quiz originally, I told them that I wanted to have less frizz when I air dried, to go longer between washes, and overall just improve my hair health. And they have delivered on all fronts. My hair just all around looks better. And you know how I know it's working? Because whenever I post Instagram stories when I'm talking to the camera, I get so many compliments on how shiny and healthy my hair looks. And trust me, I am not like a genetically good hair person. Like it's the pros. And also we've got to talk about the scent. I get the Corsica scent and it smells so good. Even a year later, I'm not over how good it smells. And Pros is really cool because they have this review and refine feature, which means that your custom formula gets better the longer you use it. On your reorder, they ask you how they did relative to your goals, and then they make tweaks. And I also have to tell you that they have the best customer service. So I don't know if I'm technically allowed or supposed to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. Recently, I reordered and you know I got my first order for free and I've been buying it with my own money ever since. And I guess I went a little overboard on the review and refine answers, and I just didn't love my new formula. And when I emailed them, I didn't tell them that I work with them as an advertiser and, you know, I was just a regular customer. They insisted on replacing my bottles for free, and they were so helpful. So seriously, if you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they'll take the products back, no questions asked. So Pros is the healthy hair care regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash B-O-P. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash B-O-P for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. Well, Grace, it looks like neither of us have an Instagram obsession. We do not. But you know what I have a lot of? Regular obsessions. I have two as well. I have three and they're all really good. One of them I emailed you, you from the plane because I went on a little bit of a Target bender. I bought four dresses. If you go to my blog post from last Monday, um, they're all in a collage on the blog. Target right now has so many good dresses and they're all like very cute, very affordable. A lot of 100% cotton dresses, which I find I can throw in the washer dryer and they'll be fine, which is nice because no dry cleaning. But very, very impressed by their dress assortment right now. Um, And I'm going to do a try out on my Instagram stories at some point. Did you get yours? Yes. Okay. I got to tell you that the one that I ordered, the same one, I ordered one. Was it the green long sleeve one? Yes. That one was not good. It's just not as special in person. It looks so vibrant in the photos. And honestly, it kind of looks better from further away. But do you want to know something? This has happened to me twice recently with Target. I can't decide if I'm going to keep that one. Well, wait. So I'm not I'm not that frequently a Target shopper. Like I would say I shop at Target once or twice a quarter. Yeah, same. So it's not like I have like a huge history with them or anything like that. So I also bought a bathing suit from them last month and this happened too. So I went to return it. And then when I I went through the whole online process and then at the end of it, they were like, no need to return it. We'll refund you and you can just keep it. So I don't like the dress the same way that I don't really love the swimsuit that I got from them, but I like it. I like it free. I like it enough for free 99. That's so strange. Yeah, that one was the most disappointing one out of the bunch. I'm going to do a try on and share why. Like I want to, it just, it looks kind of cheap compared to the other ones. Like I think maybe one of the keys for a good Target dress, although the Target nightgown dress that I love so much is a print. I think sometimes solids are better at Target. Yeah, I um, I was disappointed by it, but now I own it 
And even though I returned it, I still own it. So like, Oh, that's funny. I might still because I was going to return that after I did a try on and showed why I didn't like it as much. Well, you'll see. You'll see if yeah. they if they let you keep it because I think it's basically like if they're basically already out of stock of the style, yeah. it like doesn't make sense for them to take it back and to like restock the inventory and like put it back on their site for like if they're basically sold out of it. My favorite is like this white off the shoulder, like flowy, like tiered maxi dress. It's just so pretty and it looks like it's like Doan or something. Mm. So. Very impressed with the exception of that green dress, which is the one you bought. I loved the photo of it. It looked like it was going to be so like almost neon and vibrant and it isn't. Yeah, it did. And the print is different. Or I guess it just looks better far, from far away. Yeah. But that's funny. But the other two things I have to tell you about. Have you watched The Prince yet? No, I've not watched The Prince yet. It's on my list, but I'm I'm behind on other things. I need to finish The White Lotus first is my near-term TV watch. Oh, I finished that last night. That is the my favorite thing on TV right now, but we talked about that like last week. The Prince, you guys. My friend Stephen Beltrani, when I was out in the Hamptons, he was like, you have got to watch the show. It's like laugh out loud funny. You're going to love it. And it's amazing. It's Gary Gennetti's show. He produced it and he stars as Prince George. And it is a satire about the royal family. Each episode is like maybe 12 or 13 minutes long. It's just so fucking funny. Like I was sitting there like laughing with like tears rolling down my my cheeks. And I mean, Becca doesn't think that I like humor. I just think I have a different sense of humor. Well, and you just you I don't just, like a lot of popular sitcoms that the rest of the world agrees. I don't are like great. sitcom humor. I think it's it's stupid. Um, I need like smart funny. Like I think that this is just so clever and it just it's just so well done. Like I can't, I, I can't stop telling everyone that they need to watch it. The other show that, not show, movie that I just watched, which is probably one of the best movies I've watched, I don't know, in the past six months, was CODA, which is capital C O D A, and CODA stands for child of deaf adults. And I was at dinner with my boyfriend's family and his parents were like, you guys have to watch this movie. It's incredible. It's so wonderful. It's so moving. And I don't know them very well yet. So like, I think with parents, like sometimes you're just like, yeah, yeah, of course we'll watch that. We went back and watched it afterwards and like we both cried. It was just so wonderful. So the premise is this girl her name is Ruby. She's the daughter of two deaf parents. And then she ha- also has a deaf brother. So her family has this fishing business. And she basically is such an important part of their lives and their family business and that she's the translator. So she does all of the translations for the, the mom, the father, the business, the negotiations when they're like, you know, trying to sell their fish and stuff. But she's also still in high school and getting made fun of at school for smelling like fish. And um, a really, really gifted singer. But obviously her family can't really appreciate this gift that she has as they can't hear her. And she, you know, starts taking voice lessons with her school choir teacher. And he encourages her to apply to Berkeley. And I'm not going to say any more about like what happens or anything, but it's very, very heartfelt. And the acting is so great. The soundtrack is amazing. It's wonderful. I want to watch this too. And I also, one thing I really like about it is that the parents are deaf and the son is deaf and they all have like this, like a really like 
normal fun life. Like the parents seem like such like fun, cool parents. Like there's a scene where the daughter has to go with them to the doctor and translate because both parents like have really itchy genitals. Oh God. And it's because the parents have like been having too much sex and somehow have gotten jock itch. But like the parents are like really funny and like constantly joke. Like at one point there's a scene where the father like farts, um, says to the daughter like something like, you, you know why farts are so great? And she's like, why? And he's like, because deaf people can enjoy them too or like something like that. And I just, I don't know. I just thought that it was so great. I'd never seen a deaf family portrayed in this way in like a more lighthearted and fun kind of kind of way. I mean, it is lighthearted, but it it does get heavy at times. But like, I cannot recommend either both The Prince and this movie enough. Okay. I'm sold on both. Yeah. Um, What about you? So I have been on a bathing suit quest all summer to find new bathing suits. And I've had two developments. So the first one is that I was avoiding anything with a cheeky bottom because I thought I didn't want it. But then um, turns out I really like my butt and um, I got some with cheeky bottoms and I was like, no, this is cute. I'm into Great. it. So I guess the first update is I can pull off a cheeky bottom, which I wasn't, I didn't think I could. But then I found this bathing suit, which I guess is like medium cheeky. It's not, it's not like a Brazilian cut, you know, like super almost thong, but it's, um, it is, it isn't full coverage cut. Anyway, I found this okay. bathing suit that I'm obsessed with from J. Crew. I saw it on Anna Jane Wisniewski's stories. Uh, she's C. Anna Jane on Instagram. And I ordered it and then I, I got it and I liked it so much that I ordered a second one. We'll link it in the show notes. It's a one piece. It's just like really classic. I got one in orange and it's kind of like a light creamsicle color. And then I got one in hot pink that is literally the most blinding neon hot pink bathing suit ever. And I'm obsessed with it. So I'm great. I've solved my bathing suit problem with these two. I also got a couple others, but these two are my favorites that I got. And I'll link them in the show notes because I think, well, they're still in stock at time of recording, but also J. Crew is doing extra 50% off on all bathing suits because it's end of season. So you might be able to get it really cheap. So that's one obsession. And then my other obsession, so I've had my Apple Watch now for almost a month and I'm still obsessed with it. I, I do notice that I don't like writing with it on or doing anything where I'm typing a lot with it on. It like annoys me when it bangs the keyboard. So that's the only time that it really annoys me. But otherwise, like, I'm pretty into it. But it has this feature where you can have competitions. And so I have been pretty much consistently in a competition with either Rachel or my friend Elizabeth or my friend Ashley. I mean, Grace knows that I'm a competitive person. So this is probably not surprising. Grace, I move so much more when I'm competing with somebody. (laughs) Like I will go on a, it's not a rage walk, but I will go on a revenge walk if somebody is ahead of me, even if I've already exercised. Like I have exercised so much this month just because I need to beat whoever I'm in a competition with. It is such good motivation. (laughs) That's hilarious. I I have no words. And the competition is like a week long and you, you know, you get like points every day. So if somebody's like ahead of me for that day, I'm like, oh, I have to like work out more. Or um, on the week, if I'm like behind, I, I had a bad week last week because there was a heat wave in New York and it was losing almost all of my competitions. But Grace, I'm like, I'm addicted to competition. Right. <laughs> so I guess that's, that's positive. That sounds fun. It is really fun. 
So yeah, but that, that's the review. Still into my Apple Watch one month later, which I was not sure I would be. Yeah, I don't know. I just I would do it for the step tracking, but then you can just do a Fitbit or something. Mm-hmm. It's more that I don't want notifications on my phone. I'm, I'm on my hand, like attached to my person. You can turn off the notifications on it. Yeah, I don't know. At that point, it's like, what's the point of having an Apple Watch and not a Fitbit? I like also that I can go on walks and not bring my phone because mine has cellular service. So that way oh. I can still look at texts or I can like Apple Pay something. I don't have Apple Pay set up, so I don't know why I use it as an example. I can still listen to music on Spotify. So it's like you still have something with you, but you don't need to carry your phone. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. What about books? Um, Books. Okay. So I read something you read, which is The View Was Exhausting by Michaela Clements and Anjali Datta. And this book, I don't know. I was only medium on it. I liked that it was written by like this is this is what I remember you saying about it, which I did like that it was written by two women who are married to each other. And like there was a big part of me wondering how they how they pulled that off. Is this the one that was originally in German and then was translated to English? No, I don't know if that's true. I know that they live in Berlin and they are Yeah. I I was I was wondering if English was their first language. Did you notice that there were like a couple things yeah. where it was like the phrasing was weird? It did. And I think sometimes the writing and the phrasing made it harder for me to get into. And I just found myself not really identifying with either character. And it was it was such a great premise because it was about this like fake Hollywood romance turned kind of into a real romance with like a big twist in the middle. I just I don't know. I was just kind of only medium on it. I liked it. I probably netted out at like four stars on it out of five. Yeah, I would give it like a B plus. Yeah. Like I didn't hate it. I, I was engaged and it was a good beach read, but it wasn't like Taylor Jenkins read. Well, so I really liked it because you know that famous person, non-famous person is one of my favorite uh, subgenres. Yes. In romance. Yes. And the famous person is almost always a man. Um, and when the famous person is a woman, she's like deeply scarred and has been me too'd or has been treated so poorly where she is not coming from a place of empowerment usually. And so what I really liked about this is this was about like a woman who was at the top of her career and not that the media was treating her very well, but I liked that she was the famous one versus usually it's the man. I would agree with that. I just, um, I don't know. I think it was, this is another problem for me when something is overly hyped. I, um, get so excited for it and then I if it's if I'm only medium on it I get really sad because mm. I'm I'd still give it a B plus like maybe even an A minus no I think of a solid B plus it's more just that like Emma Benchoff like wrote this really like majorly like glowing review of it and then I when I saw that Taylor Jenkins Reid had blurbed it I was like oh hell yes and I was like eh it was good like I'm glad I, I didn't want to DNF it but I didn't think it was great okay what else did you read so then I am reading, currently reading two nonfiction books kind of simultaneously. I need to pick up another another fiction book. I think I'm going to start the new Lisa Jewell book, which is a thriller mm-hmm. tonight or tomorrow, or the new Maddie Dawson if that comes. Um, my, I'm reading Set Boundaries by Nedra Tawab, which is, um, she's a like amazing therapist and like 
she's really, really pr- prolific on Instagram. And then she, she wrote this book. I love following her on Instagram. I've been kind of off and on reading it because it's it's very like self-helpy. And like I just like to read like maybe a chapter here or there. But I like re- really recommitted it to it and like read like I think like five chapters in the past week. The other book I'm reading, which I told you I was reading a 500 page um, <laughs> nonfiction murder book. And I looked at it the other night and I realized it's 700 pages. It's um, so no, thank you. What happened was I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And this is kind of like when we were talking about information rabbit holes last week. I got really into reading up on the Manson murders. And okay. And um, of course, I then I was at a party and someone told me to read this book and I, I picked it up and it's it's just really, really meaty about these murders. But I can't put it down, like learning about um, Sharon Tate, who was Rowan Polanski's wife. And then the just I mean, Charles Manson and his like family that lived with him in the desert. It's also creepy. I'm only about 100 pages out of 700. So normally oh, you got you got a while. Normally girl. 100 pages would be. um like a lot of progress, but it's not. So that's why I need to also pick up a fiction book because I just don't have the attention span to sit and slog through. Like I, I'm enjoying it. I just need something else to break it up. And I think the Maddie Dawson yeah. book that you're going to talk about is probably going to be the thing. Okay. <laughs> um, on, something light and and fun. Yeah. On my side, I've been reading a ton. I had a I had a recharge weekend last weekend, so I read a lot. That's going to be my weekend this weekend. Yeah. So I, I finished Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wang, which you recommended to me. And basically the premise is, what if Sheryl Sandberg was actually a Russian spy? And as you predicted, I really liked it. Was very into it. And also it was not quite what I expected either. So I really enjoyed that. And then I read... I loved that one. Yeah. And then I read The Magic of Found Objects by Maddie Dawson. And Maddie Dawson is the author who wrote Matchmaking for Beginners, which is like an all-time bad on paper fan fave. And this one is... It's, you know, it's her classic... Like I just find her books and her writing style so charming and like heartwarming. Um, And so basically the premise is a woman who is in her mid-30s who lives in New York City and is single, she's actually divorced, um, has been going on all these terrible dates and um, her and her male best friend decide to get married because they want to have kids and they just are sick of dating and don't want to date anymore. And um, they were like, we're doing it. We're doing it better than other people. And then of course... As soon as they decide that, she meets a guy who she actually could want to be with. Um, And then it's also told through the timeline of her childhood where she grew up with like a very hippie mom and a very straight-laced dad on a New Hampshire farm. And it, it was just so charming. Like that's the best way I could describe it. I really enjoyed it. And there's like a lot of meat in there too. With the two storylines. Oh, it sounds great. It was great. I feel like this is like a good overlap of our interests. Yeah. Yeah. I just always love everything Maddie Dawson writes. Yeah. I remember I made fun of you for the – um, what's the book that we both love by her? Matchmaking for Beginners. Matchmaking for Beginners. And I was like, that sounds dumb. I'm not going to read it. And then we were on vacation together and I read it. And like I wouldn't like get leave my bedroom because I wanted to finish it. It's like still one of my favorite books. It's and so good. And highly by you. Yeah. 
And then I also just finished this book last night called Shoulder Season by Christina Clancy. And this is outside my normal genre, but I saw the description on Goodreads and it it really hit me. So it's historical fiction set in the 1980s. So it's more recent historical fiction. It's about this girl from a really small town in Wisconsin. Um, and she's just graduated high school and her mother died. And so she decides to interview for a job at the Playboy Resort, which is actually a real place that existed on Lake Geneva in Wisconsin. It was like a Playboy hotel. So she auditions to be a Playboy bunny and she gets it. And so it's her her story. And it's it's fiction. It's not um, nonfiction. It's her story about like sex and drugs and self-discovery and um you know, it's it was really interesting. It's like in some ways a little bit anti-feminist because, you know, it's really chauvinistic. The the you know working at the Playboy Club and like the male clientele there is really chauvinistic, um, and it's also really interesting because you get to see her the first chapter and then the last maybe like five chapters are set in the present day, so you also get to see who she becomes, and um, I really enjoyed it. Not like an A plus, but I would say like again solid B plus. Like really liked it. That sounds good. It was good. And it was so interesting. Like it was about a place in time that felt recent enough that I could like get my head around it. But I had no idea there was a Playboy Resort in Wisconsin. Yeah, I had no idea either. Yeah. Apparently like Lake Geneva in Wisconsin is where all of the like rich Chicago families would summer in the early 1900s. They would like have a lake house on this lake and like the, you know, like the, like the Sears family and the, I don't remember the other people, but anyway, um, they all had houses on this lake. So it was like an escape for like the rich of Chicago. Ah, kind of like the camps up in the Adirondacks. Yeah. During the, like the showgirl was really set around those camps in the, in the 1920s. Yeah. A little bit earlier. So that's what we've got for you. We do not yet have a book for September. We do have a book for October. We're not going to tell you what it is yet. Should we just announce October? No. <laughs> We're not going to tell you what it is yet, so that's no fun for you. But we'll tell you on Instagram what it is by September 1st. Yeah. I have a few possibilities I'm still looking at, but we have a we have a backup idea too. So I don't know, guys. It's the end of summer. We're doing our best. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got to go read and figure out what our book's going to be. So we'll talk to go you. read. I have to go work. I've been like speaking. I spoke on a panel today and like then this and now I've got to like finish my work for the day. But um, I still got to continue avoiding writing my book. I was trying to segue into ending by saying we were off to go read and pick our book, which was a lie. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, So we're liars. But um, hey, if you like liars and want more of us, you can follow us at Bad on Paper Podcast on Instagram. How was that segue? It was great. Good? Bad? And thanks. (laughs) I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. My blog is thestripe.com. I post there six days a week. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. All right. Bye, everyone. See you next week. 